Okay, recording. Recording! Sorry, I was just making a, a thing. Okay, never mind, go. Platforms, a podcast discussing the various aspects of migrating from one technology platform to another. I'm Keita. And I'm Jason. As we explained in the first episode, both of us currently use a lot of Apple hardware and software, and we're both looking at leaving the popular tools behind and returning to Linux. Hopefully, with the help of these discussions, we'll have the opportunity to share ideas and explore the feasibility of abandoning commercially supported, unified ecosystems for something reminiscent of the technology scene some 30 years ago. And since this is the second episode, we have some follow-up. Keita, what kind of follow-up do you have this week? Sure, so um, on app.net I've been, oh well, yeah, on app.net I've been talking about this uh, Pine 64. It's kind of a uh, really small single board computer, kind of like a Raspberry Pi. Um, except it has a 1.2 gigahertz 64-bit uh, uh, ARM processor, which is um, it's pretty cool, and uh, up to two gigabytes of RAM. So I was thinking, you know, maybe I could use this as my main computer. You know, run Linux on it and see what happens. It's only let's see, including shipping to Japan, it's only forty-one dollars for the the uh, the the high-end two gigabyte RAM model. So. Um, it's not a very big investment, and if things go wrong, you know, I can just donate it to the local uh, um, co-working space that needs these kinds of cool things. So that will be coming, I think, in March. So it's a little ways out, but I got it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, does it have uh, user-replaceable RAM, or is it going no. to be soldered onto the yeah, board? Yeah, it's soldered onto the board. And I mean, at forty dollars, I mean, whatever you know, <laughs> if it breaks, <laughs> um, I can just replace it. But yeah, two gigabytes is not that much. I mean, my my uh, my laptop now has sixteen, I think, so it's going to be um, a little uh, hard to switch over back down to two. But we'll see what happens. Indeed, does that have uh, HDMI out? What kind it of does. resolution would you run? Um, well, it. Supports up to 4K, but that's only at 30 uh, 30 hertz. Um, so I'll probably do something like um, I, I don't know what the resolution is for the uh, the Apple Cinema Display Thunderbolt Display or whatever, but it would be something like that. Hmm. So it's not, you know, it's not it's not bad. It's it's more than HD, which is nice. Yeah, that sounds like something that would be really good for an embedded system. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, what kind of storage does it have? Does it use uh, onboard flash, or does it have a serial ATA port for any kind of SSD or spinning disk? Nope. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it only has a uh, micro SD card uh, slot. And SD cards can be very slow, um, but we'll see what happens. It does support up to 256 gigabytes of SD uh storage so there's that and there's also usb but i think it's usb 2 so it's it's not a very high-end computer by any means but i'm sure it's at least usable yeah i don't think i don't think a system like that would be able to handle the throughput of uh, usb 3 but that does sound pretty cool 
Okay. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Indeed. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Uh, <laughs> so some other follow-up. Um, since the last episode, I have sold my MacBook Air. Nice. Yeah. So I'm still using it. This does kind of put the pressure on me um, for what I'm going to do about my next machine, because this MacBook Air that I'm currently using uh, is my primary development machine. Yeah. And uh, unlike what I was doing a couple of years ago, I don't think I can go back to using something like uh, an iPhone for development. Um, but back in 2012, I was actually using an iPod Touch, um, writing <laughs> PHP in that and uploading it to my server. I do not recommend that for the faint of heart. Um, but yeah, so I, I have been doing a bunch of research on what kind of machine I might use in the near future, and I'm still seriously debating between going with a desktop of some kind and getting another notebook um, of some kind. And who knows, it might be another Mac, <laughs> because <laughs> as we were saying last time, they do make the best hardware, um, but you know, if I go and get myself another Mac, if, if it's a retina machine, I have the problem of not being able to upgrade it again. Um, yeah. And if it's one of the older machines, one of the older Mac Pros where you can upgrade it, then I'm going to be taking a step down. Uh, even if I get one of the i7 models, I'll still be taking a step down in terms of uh, screen resolution if I want to keep a 13-inch um, yeah. and other things of that sort. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. That said... I have seen one very interesting HP, um, which will support 32 gig of RAM if I really want to do that. And it comes with a 4K screen um, if I really want to, you know, fork out the money for it. And it's about the same as a 15-inch MacBook Pro um, to wow. start. Uh, but Wait, that so the, said, size, the size is about the same as a 15-inch MacBook Pro? Uh, yeah, it's a 14.1-inch screen. Wow. Yeah, so I'm that... going to I'm, I'm going to throw that into... Um, the show notes. I mean, you might need a micro, uh, not a microphone. You might need a, one of those uh, magnifying glasses to see the, see the text. I mean, I have this 28 inch 4k screen in front of me and even running that at uh, native resolution is pretty brutal sometimes. Well, I'd probably be doing some kind of font scaling. Yeah. Um, because yeah, my eyes are no longer as young as they used to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very, very interesting. Um, it, it's one of the HP gaming machines. They've even got a special Star Wars edition that I'm not at all interested in. Uh, th some of the things I don't like about it, of course, uh, it, it's green. Um, they've got like this green speckle all over it. It just looks really cheesy. Um, and the case is plastic. Yeah. So that's not cool. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it is, it, 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 the specs look really, really good. Yeah. Um, so there's that, uh, there's one Lenovo that I'm looking at. Um, the downside of that Lenovo is that the screen is really washed out. Mm. Um, and when it comes to notebooks, honestly, the keyboard and the screen are the two most important things. Yeah. Um, I, I will happily deal with a slower processor if it means having a good screen and good keyboard. Yeah. And Apple um, really realizes that. I mean, their notebook keyboards are one of the best ever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the copycat keyboards from uh, Toshiba and Sony just are not the same. Um, yep. I, I get those things sticking, especially the, the T key. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm testing these things at uh, Big Camera or Yotobashi or whatever the heck, the, the T is always such a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> it does not respond properly. Yeah, it, fe it always feels like you're, you're kind of like mushing something, you know. It's yeah. like big marshmallows that you're 
mushing with your fingers. Yeah, I, I don't like it. But Yeah, that's not cool. And I don't want to carry around a separate keyboard for a notebook. That's just yeah. crazy. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. That said, uh, the focus of this show is not going to be hardware at all. Instead, we're going to be looking at software. Of course, um, as, as we've been saying many times, a computer is a tool to com- uh, for the work that we want to do. Right. And software is a very, very important part of this. And there's lots and lots of software out in the world. Um, but you and I, we've become very accustomed to the, the, the OS X way of doing things. The yeah. UI, the keyboard shortcuts, the expectations, the flow. Uh, we're very familiar with this. So moving over to Linux or Windows or any other platform will come with a little bit of growing pains. So uh, in the show notes, I'd like that you put together a good little list of different types of software uh, with alternatives uh, that we might be able to use. So how about we run through some of these? Sure. Where do you want to start? You want to start with uh, text editing, I guess? I mean, that's kind of what I do all day, so. And and I, yes, I I spend a good 80% of my day in front of a computer, um, using Coda. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Using, using Coda. Like that, that's where I am when I'm in front of a computer. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, let's run through these. What are the text editors that you currently use? So I usually use Sublime Text and Vim right now. Um, Vim is usually more for kind of quick edits, you know, config files, stuff like that. Um, especially things on the server where the terminal is all you have. Um, and that's obviously in Linux because, you know, the servers are in Linux and yeah. And sublime text is a nice, mm, a lot of people don't like it, but I like it. (laughs) It's a nice, uh, uh, GOI, um, text editor and it does actually have a Linux version. So, um, I'm looking forward to using that in in Linux. Okay. One other that I've been recently informed about is something called Atom io or atomio i'm not sure how to pronounce that atom.io or just atom i think maybe perhaps yeah um again in the show notes this Mm -hmm. is put out by the same people who do github yeah um and it's available on every major platform out there so you can use this with um windows mac ubuntu um i think they have an android version as well i'd have to double check that yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they did um atom is yeah, I mean, I guess I have my complaints about Atom. I've used it a little bit before, but it's kind of this um, trend where desktop apps are being written in JavaScript <laughs> and they use like a, a web rendering engine to render their UI. Um, hmm, what's wrong I mean, with that? Well, I mean, it's 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 fine, I guess. I mean, it's just really, really hard on resources, you know. And if it's going to be a a web app, you know, maybe put it in the browser. Um, although putting it in a real app gives you uh, a bunch of things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in a browser, in a web browser like uh, uh, advanced access to files, although um, that's coming along. But yeah, I haven't used it that much. So we'll have to uh, try it out and see see what happens. Yeah, this is something that uh, I'm probably going to be looking at because it has a very similar look and feel um, to Coda, which is mm-hmm. something that I've become accustomed to over the last three years. Yeah. Um, and when I'm working with software, there are just certain expectations I have. So like you, I also use Vim on the server. Um, 
there are some files I can't use Vim for, though, because it doesn't support, well, maybe it's just my server, but it doesn't support Unicode characters. And some of my config files do have Unicode characters in there. Um, that could just be your server, because my server works fine with Unicode characters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I set my server up wrong. I hope not. <laughs> but, um, so for the most part, I can use Vim for a lot of things, except for one config file. I've never used Sublime, though, but I've heard lots of people love it. I've heard a couple of haters, but you've got that with everything. Yeah, so... Yeah. And then there are, there are a couple um, text editors that I usually use that don't have uh, Linux equivalents. And I guess the biggest one would be BBEdit. I mean, BBEdit, I've been using ever since I started using the Mac, um, I guess. <laughs> it's a really, really old app, and it's really rock solid. Um, it really understands... What I usually use it for is when I can't open a file, like if someone has... Uh, if someone has emailed me a file that's in some kind of a weird uh, text encoding, like there are, I don't know how many just different text text encoding standards there are for Japanese, like five or six. Yeah, too many. Um, yeah, way too many. If another app doesn't uh, recognize the encoding or it has like a bunch of um, characters that are not correctly encoded, I can usually open that just in BBEdit and then switch it to UF8, save it, and then open it up in um, whatever app I need to open it up in. And it really works really well with um, like huge files, you know, 500, 600 megabyte big, huge log files that I probably should have uh, had the log rotate do a little more frequently. Um, <laughs> but BBEdit will do that uh, like a champ. So. Okay, that sounds pretty good, um, because I do a lot of this in Coda 2, yeah. um, and it does not like big files. If, yeah. if I have to send a 20 megabyte file, and, and this infuriates me, because I often get 20 megabyte files, um, don't ask me why, but I, I get these <laughs> 20 megabyte, or 40 megabyte, 50 megabyte files, and I have to open them up in Coda in order for me to open them in Word or some other thing of that sort, and the system just hangs. I'm using 100% resources for a good 15-20 minutes just to open the file. And then if I have to make any edits, like changing the code page or replacing some weird characters, things of that sort, like, there's my afternoon. Yeah. So I guess there's no like exact equivalent of BBEdit in Linux, but um, I mean, there's obviously less of the command line tool that you can use to uh, kind of open up a file and squirrel around in it. Um, and that works really, really well with huge files. Um, but when it comes to character encoding, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Well, one other text editor that I use a lot on uh, OS X is Byword. Hmm. And this is something that I've been using for uh, probably three years. Um, Back when Byword first came out for iOS, um, it was being uh, promoted by a lot of the big podcasters at the time, mm -hmm. um, Dan Benjamin and um, what's his name, Gruber, were singing its praises. And Byword is not a cheap piece of software by any stretch of the imagination. But I figured, you know, what the heck, these guys are saying it's really good and it wasn't a sponsor read. So, okay, I'll give it a try. Went and downloaded the app and... It took a little bit for me to get into it, but mm -hmm. I do really like it. Um, once I started using Markdown 
uh, properly, then the value proposition of byword just became much, much, much um, easier to see. But if you don't use Markdown as a markup format very often, then byword is just unnecessarily minimal. (laughs) So yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's grown on me over the years, and that is not available in um, any other OS, or I should say on any other OS. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, especially those Markdown apps, they have been uh, getting more popular recently. That hasn't kind of really trickled down to the open source uh, ecosystem yet. I don't know. I mean... Is, is that because Gruber, the person who created Markdown, is it because he's mainly a Mac fanatic and so other Mac fanatics have taken the torch and run with it? Or do you think it's because people who use other operating systems just prefer other formats? Um, I mean, it could be that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, I forget the name. There's the format for certain kinds of web forums where you've got bracket B meaning bold and bracket something else meaning list um, uh yeah um i forget what uh, that's called like php bb markup or not not it wasn't that uh, whatever yeah yeah whatever um, Some it, stuff like that yeah yeah it looks ridiculous um but <laughs> um but yeah so maybe it's just because gruber is a huge mac proponent um markdown is just taken off on the mac and fewer other places i'm yeah, not well, sure I- yeah, <clears throat> I'm. I'm sure it will. Uh, it will come to Linux. Uh, those kinds of like uh, minimalistic Markdown editors will come to Linux, or maybe the, there are editors right now in Linux. Um, <laughs> we just don't. We just don't know about them yet. Um, yeah, there's probably a couple of people listening to this who are shouting their various text editor of choice. Yes. Um, and yeah, if if anybody has any recommendations, please, please, please get in touch. Let us know. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we would love to work with the best. Um, why wouldn't we? So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Always open for suggestions. Absolutely. And the nice thing about text editors is that we can test them within like five minutes. Does this fit me? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Um, it's very, very easy to use. Whereas other things like IDEs, those take a while to get into. Yeah. Um, but speaking of other software, um, I guess the next most common piece of software that you and I probably use would be web browsers. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I use Safari, um, let's say 95% of the time when I'm running. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. Um, I only use Chrome for development um, because (laughs) the developer tools are um, much better than Safari or Firefox there. Yep. Um, The problem is that Safari is not on Linux, obviously, because it's a Mac app. Interesting. Is Safari still on Windows? No, they discontinued that. Okay, well, that's good. Five or Um, six years ago, I think. It's pretty, (laughs) yeah. I think I only used it for like 10 minutes um, on Windows. And then I said, well, why do I want to use this? I can use Opera. Right. Um, Because, yeah, I really enjoyed Opera when I was using Windows full time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Chrome came out and blew Opera away. Yeah. Um, mainly because of its development tools. Um, with Opera, it, it did have development tools better than, oh, so much better than Internet Explorer. Um, but um, the problem with Opera was 
that it was just too slow. It, it was too slow to render pages. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great on memory. It was great on disk space. It was uh, it was great that it was created by somebody who or a team that was not in the U.S. Because um, I believe Opera is from or is it Finland or Norway? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, it's a Scandinavian country, I believe. Um, and I really like the idea of using software from other parts of the world um, mm-hmm. because there are there are a lot of very talented people all over the world. And so yeah. I, I did enjoy Opera for those reasons. It allowed me to kind of think outside the box yeah, without and, thinking too far out. Yeah. And Opera today is based on the, uh, the same rendering engine that Chrome is. Um, so it's very fast, very um, performant. Hmm. I haven't played with it in the last couple of years, but I might have to go back to it. Yeah, I think I I last played with it maybe a year or so ago on the Mac, and it was it was pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the other option would be uh, Firefox. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I only have Firefox installed, and I've only had Firefox installed on my machines for testing purposes, just right. to see if it loads. Um, yeah, Firefox. I, I, yeah, yeah I, I I loved the very first version of Firefox when that came out in what was it two thousand two two thousand three. Yeah, um, that was great. But then Firefox two would not run on my computer because it needed a million gigabytes of RAM. Um, and ever since then, I've just been unable to get into Firefox due to one reason or another, um, yeah. either resource consumption or uh, the look and feel. Because sometimes some of the previous versions were very uh, funky. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's still the case. I can't, I can't. Like the thing that always hangs me up with Firefox is the UI. It doesn't match with anything really, you know. So, and also it feels kind of clunky, and you know the the network settings are not the same as the system network settings, and you know it's it's kind of all of these details that you know uh, add up. Firefox is open, isn't it? It is. Um, okay, so I wonder if that's contributing to the problem because of. Yeah. Everybody can add to it, then everybody can add their own little edge case. Right. Um, which is a good thing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's uh, also, well, it's not uh, Chrome, but it is the uh, the open source project behind Chrome, uh, Chromium, which is available on uh, Linux as well. Does that send a bunch of data back to Google like Chrome does? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Okay, because yeah, that's one of the things I'm not a big fan of with um, with the standard Chrome. Um, I think the current versions send less data back, but a couple of versions back, it was sending a lot of information back to Google. Like, for example, what websites, uh, which, how many tabs I have open, uh, mm-hmm. to which websites, um, things of that sort. And I was able to watch it go across the network. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. Google doesn't need to know whether I'm looking at you know, porn, or if I'm looking at um, various websites, it's really none of their business. Would it send information back even with the uh, private thing, private mode, porn mode? Private private doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, all, all private means is don't don't save cookies. So <laughs> that, that, that's essentially the only thing it comes down to. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as private when Google's involved. Yeah. So, yeah, Google doesn't get my porn. Um, <laughs> that being said, so I guess the, I guess the next problem would be email clients. Um, yeah. on OS 10, I've never 
been able to get into Apple Mail. Um, mm-hmm. I think I used it. I think I opened it once, but I never <laughs> actually set it up. Um, I don't like the three panel email clients um, at all. Mm-hmm. Outlook, I don't like. Um, yeah, anything that has that three panel look, I I just find ugly beyond belief. So um, what do you use right now? I currently use Airmail, Airmail 1 point something, mm-hmm. um, which is not the most current version of Airmail. It's a very old version. I think it's two years old now, mm-hmm. um, but it works. And I really like it because it's just a single column hmm. and that's all I want. That That's really all I need um, because I live in my inbox. If something's not in my inbox, it means it's done. So I don't need to see my folders list. I don't need to see um, various things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, you know, I've got my single column. I want to read an email. Uh, it has its preview, so I can see like the first three lines or something of that sort. Yeah. Um, I want to read the whole thing. Great. Double click. It opens in its own window. I can respond. It's in its own window. Off it goes. Um, that's the way I, I much prefer to use email. I don't want this full screen behemoth full of text. It's just in in my mind, it's just ugly as heck. Mm-hmm. So Apple Mail, Outlook, Thunderbird, no thank you. Yeah. I kind of like the the three-column uh, style because I subscribe to quite a few mailing lists. <laughs> and so it's kind of, um, yeah, I'm going to sound old, I guess. But <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of fun. You're younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun just going through those, you know, like the folders and... I um, have rules to set, you know, uh, these mails for my bank go into this folder and I'll check them later, stuff like that. So I don't know. I have have that with labels. Mm -hmm. So email will come in, it'll be auto affixed with a particular label, whether Ah. it's, um, you know, bank or work or things of that sort. Um, and then when I archive it, they keep those labels and mm-hmm. then I can search based on labels and it's like searching through folders and crap of that sort. Yeah. Um, that's generally the way I prefer to work. A couple yeah. of years ago, I I was very much into the Outlook way of doing things with lots and lots of folders and special rules and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but after switching to the Mac and hearing everybody moan and complain about Apple Mail, um, I decided to try this, this AirMail thing. And mm-hmm. the first couple of versions just didn't work. It would crash and ha- all kinds of problems. Um, so I would use webmail for the longest time. But then the uh, airmail got its thing together. I came back, really, really prefer this way of doing things. Because it's just like mail on a mobile phone. Because with our mobile phone, we only have a single column. Uh, right. Since that's all the space we have. Yeah. Uh, and that really works for me. Um, I yep. used to have the the iPad mail on there. It's a two-column thing. I didn't really get into that. But that mm-hmm. said, with a tablet, well, with, with an iPad, you're limited in terms of how they can display information since we don't really have a, a windowing overlapping system on um, Apple-based tablets. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, so I, I wonder what are the options? Um, I know <laughs> very little about the email clients for Linux. Back when I was using Ubuntu, um, I ran my own email server. And mm-hmm. as a result, I would use uh, Roundcube. Uh, which is um, a, a self-hosted uh, web interface for email. And then you can plug that right into your um, mail server and off you go. Mm-hmm. I, I used that for a long time. I contributed 
quite a bit of uh, code to its source. I got right into that. But mm -hmm. after leaving um, Linux for Windows, it just didn't make sense for me to continue using that particular web interface. Um, yeah. That in my office, like my employer blocked it. So, <laughs> so that, that gave me another reason to switch over to Outlook. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm going to start out with Thunderbird. Um, I mean, I don't spend that much time in email. I mean, I just need to check a few things and I'm off doing something else. So it's not that important for me. Well, in that case, could you use just a mobile device for email? Could you do everything through your phone? Yes, I think so. Um, it would just be that, you know, sometimes I would need to open a link on my computer or something like that. So I would need something. Okay, so occasionally webmail or something like, like that. Right, but... Okay. Yeah, I mean, I already have, you know, SMTP and um, IMAP set up, so I don't really want to spend any more time setting up a web interface as well, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Completely understandable. Yeah. So I guess this brings us to the last, well, I, not last, second to last, because uh, there's one more thing that's not in our show notes that I'd like to talk about, mm -hmm. um, but image editors. Yeah. So... <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but on the Mac, I use Pixelmator for everything. And I'm usually opening this app two or three times um, every day, even if it's just for a quick little edit, uh, yeah. like for an online gag, um, things of that sort. Unfortunately, Pixelmator is not available on any other platform, as far as I know. Um, and GIMP, no thank you. Um, <laughs> so I wonder, what, what, what are some of the options I like as far as I know, I think GIMP is the only option. <laughs> okay, so there are no options. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, I I think I was saying this in the last episode. You know, GIMP does the job. Yes. Um, yes, it's open source. I can go and do what I want with it because image editing software. I've never worked on imaging editing software in my life. Uh, it's it's a very complex field that, you know, yeah, I can sit down and learn how to do it, but. I don't know. I guess it just means that I have to sit down and actually create my own skin. Um, <laughs> I believe GIMP does allow skinning. So if that's the case, maybe I can just go down that route. But the, the look and the feel of GIMP, um, the horrible icons, the pixelation, you would think that an image editing software, uh, an imaging editing package would not have such horrible pixelation. But here we are. Um, well, it, it is a raster image editor. So maybe they're trying to, um, you know... <laughs> they're trying to make sure people know what they're getting into. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're just trying to scare people into the arms of Adobe, um, <laughs> which is not a place that I want to go. Even if I had a, a multi-Xeon system with 64 gig of RAM, I would not want to use Adobe software. Um, yeah, but I mean, even that, I don't think Adobe or like like things like Photoshop, I don't think they run on Linux, do they? No, but you could use... Um, uh, wine. Yeah, you could use Wine. Now, I, I'm i sure Wine has gotten a lot better in recent years, but I'm wondering whether Wine can actually handle uh, things like Photoshop. I don't know. I mean, there used to be that site where you could check uh, the compatibility. Um, I forgot what it was called, but I'll, I'll figure it out and put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I, I, if I go with... Ubuntu or some other form of Linux. I don't really want to use Wine too much. Like I will use it every now and again, of course. Yeah. But I don't want to basically just 
emulate Windows on Ubuntu. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Mint Linux or Debian. It doesn't matter what flavor of Linux it is. I, I don't want to have a Windows box that's not a Windows box. If I'm going to go that route, I might as well just use Windows 10 because, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I do like Windows 10. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll probably talk about this in the next episode, but um, it does a lot of things right. And there are some things that people don't quite agree with, but the testing that I've done with the uh, with Windows 10 Enterprise, mm-hmm. it, it's it's really nice. And it doesn't send any information back to Microsoft aside from do I have updates, yes or no. And you can shut that thing off. So it, it's really, really nice in that regards. And I like the look, the feel, the fact that you can run this thing probably on a Raspberry Pi um, they've done a lot in terms of memory management. So I don't know. That's that's an, another thing that I'm thinking about. Should I return to Windows where I've always had problems with languages? Or um, should I go with uh, Linux where I don't have to worry so much about switching between English, Japanese, and any other language I might want to use? Yeah. And okay, yeah, I guess we could go into this language issue for a little bit. But that's a problem that I have with um, Windows all the time. Yeah, well, that's why I left Windows. Yeah, um, because I, I'm sure you've heard me complain about this on numerous occasions, but I would be using Windows 7. Um, I would be writing software using Visual Studio. I'd be using every last bit of memory on that machine that I was using. And all of my translation files, of course, written in Japanese or Korean, all of the kanji, the hiragana, the katakana, and the hangul would change into boxes. Yeah, And then autosave would autosave all those boxes. And then I wouldn't even think to check because I was always being rushed between running into classrooms and other things of that sort. Um, I'd, I'd push out a software release and then I'd get a phone call during my next break saying, oh my God, everything is boxes. And then I'd have to push out another update after I go back and get the previous, like go into source control, get a previous version of the file, yeah. replace the file, all because my computer ran out of resources. Yeah. Um, Windows I mean, 10 is better. Okay, yeah, that's good. But um, I, will it will it stand up to the test? I, I don't know. I've never actually really pushed the system. Um, I've run Windows 10 in a VM, mm-hmm. but never on its own system really pushing it to the max. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether Windows will still have the same language problems or not. So with Windows 10, like, for example, uh, Mac OS 10, you can change the language at any time. Um yeah, you can't do that with Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah, at all. Which is another problem. Can you can you do you can't do that with Windows 10 either? No. Oh, okay. Um the only the only thing you get to do is like change the IME. Um and and this is the other downside. If if I want to share, like if I go and get a desktop, then of course I'm not going to take the desktop to work every day. It's going to be staying in the house. And so now it makes sense to allow, you know, not to allow, sorry, but to have two logins, one for myself, one for my wife. Right. Um, well, my wife is Japanese, so she prefers using the Japanese uh, version of Windows, even though she has no idea what any of the error messages actually say. Um, she prefers the Japanese version, whereas right. me, um, I feel very frustrated by the Japanese version because I find the descriptions for things to be counterintuitive to what the functions actually do. Yeah. Well, um, maybe, I mean, it's, maybe that's just me. It's but. it's a. I think it's just a, a like what are you, um, what are you used to kind of thing. Because yeah. I mean, I I'm I'm fluent in Japanese. I can, you know, I'm fine with Japanese interfaces. It's just that 
I'm used to the US interface or the US English interface. So I, that's what I use, you know, and yeah. it's probably the same with your wife, you know, that's what she's used all of her life. So. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, you and I, we both know Chris uh, down in Australia and his computers are all in Japanese. Yeah. Um, so he would most likely prefer the Japanese interface. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's fine. You know, whatever is fine for anybody. Computers at the end of the day are supposed to be our tools. So if, if I can't log in and have a system show things in English and my wife can't log in and show things in Japanese on the same system without having two installs, without doing a reboot and having two partitions and having shared files and having all these, this convoluted garbage, um, that I just don't want to deal with because damn it, it's a computer. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my biggest problem with windows. Like I have, uh, windows installed for gaming right now. And um, because I live in Japan, the only edition that I can find is the Japanese edition. Um, I can't, I couldn't find hard the, enough. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to, uh, download and install the English language pack. Um, so I would say maybe 95% of the UI facing, uh, th- uh, strings or UI facing elements are in English. Um, and then you go to like the shutdown menu and it's like sleep is in English and then shutdown is in Japanese and then standby is in Japanese. And it's like, why? Interesting. <laughs> you know, well, how, how about um, the date time strings? Because I, I do prefer the Japanese date time strings. Um, I think those are all in English. I'll have to check later. Um, okay. Well, but, yeah, this, this is, is not important. But... Yeah. This is with uh, <laughs> windows 8.1, I think. So. Okay. Yeah, Hopefully the, a 10 goes in a better direction, but we'll see. Yeah. Indeed, we'll see. Um, one of the nice things about um, what the new Microsoft is doing is that you can go and get demo versions of the software. And I know Microsoft has made demo versions of OSs available to MSDN subscribers in the past, but now it seems to be open to anybody. Mm-hmm. And I've been using one of the 90-day demos for Windows 10 Enterprise for... I think a month and a half now while I'm getting reacquainted with Visual Studio and C Sharp. Right. Yeah, I really, really like it. Like I said, I run it in a VM on this Mac. The VM has 2.25 gig of RAM allocated to it and one processor, and it flies. It is the fastest, smoothest Windows I've ever used, Um, more so than Windows 7, which for me is shocking um, because... Up until Windows 10, 7 was the best version of Windows I'd ever used, and that version of Windows was always futzing up the language. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens with Windows, but um, if we go back to Linux for a while, um, <laughs> there are a couple different uh, OSs that we can choose from, right? There are. Um, but before looking at the different OSs, uh, actually, I think that should be maybe episode three. Okay. The last thing I'd like to look at is um, audio editors. Oh, right. Yes. So, of course, I do a lot of podcasting. Um, As far as I know, aside from Audacity, there are no real audio programs for Linux. And Audacity has the same problem that GIMP has. It can do a lot of stuff, but it just looks horrible. It is not at all easy to use. um, And I just don't like it. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, at the moment I do a lot of things with, um, different tools. So I, I'm using Hindenburg Journalist Pro for my podcasting. Now this is a professional piece of software. It's available for both OS 10 as well as Windows, 
Um, it's a very expensive piece of software, but it works very, very well. And I like it. I really, really like it. So I'm probably going to give that a try in Wine mm-hmm. to see if it'll work. And if it works, great. I'm going to have very few problems. The other problem I have, though, is my Roland audio interface. Does that not have a Linux driver? or? As far as I know, no. Ah. So it's got uh, drivers for OS X and Windows. Now, that being said, you know I do have experience writing um, drivers. If it really becomes necessary, then I could either try to find a Linux-compatible audio interface so that I can plug my nice microphone into it, um, because this microphone that I'm using now does not have a USB interface, um, and all of my USB mics just don't sound as good as this one, I think. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I could sit down and try and write a driver for the Roland interface, and seeing as how this particular interface is quite popular amongst hobbyists, there are probably a couple of other people who would want to use the driver as well. So great, I can throw that on GitHub and anybody can use it. Yeah. Um, the, the downside is I am not an audio engineer. So right. yes, I can write a driver, but is it going to be the best driver? Am I going to be missing something? Is it not going to be able to handle you know buffer overflows or things of that sort? Because I'm going to be writing it to suit my needs, which is handling, uh, let me see, two tracks, a USB interface, um, let me see, mono with a with a very low noise gate. So like, I'm going to be focusing on just what I need. And then there's probably going to be some kind of musician that's going to plug it into, um, well, instruments and get something completely unacceptable for what a musician needs. Yeah, but. and I mean, there could be somebody who already has, you know, made a driver for your specific um, thing, or maybe there's more general drivers that you can use that don't support all of the features, but support, um, you know, like something basic that you would be able to use, something like that. Yeah, um, that's certainly a possibility. I'm yeah. not, I'm not discounting that. It might actually be out there and exist, which yeah. would be great. Um, is just one of those other hurdles that needs to be overcome. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of software that um, we take for granted as being available for, well, now we take for granted as being available for OS X. It wasn't always this way. Right. It used to be you needed a Windows machine if you wanted to do anything uh, productive, but you needed a Mac if you wanted to do anything creative. And now there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, but we're just not seeing it in other places because well, the market's too small. Um, it doesn't make sense for Hindenburg, a German company, to focus on uh, Linux if they're only going to have a handful of people using it. Yeah, the amount of professional, like not uh, like closed source commercial software for Linux, is very uh, slim. Yeah, and and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, anybody, well, not anybody, but most people can afford a Windows box. Uh, and people who want to get a little bit more can go and afford a Mac. And then it comes with everything you need. And great, off you go. Nice, clean interface. Um, people going with Linux, usually you cannot buy a Linux box from a manufacturer. Right. Like, occasionally you see Ubuntu machines at Best Buys and whatnot. But these machines are usually put out, I, I don't want to say as a gag, but... That's pretty much how it looks because the machines are always off in the corner, forgotten about, next to the the cheapo Android netbook wannabes, essentially. Yeah. And then yeah. no, nobody looks at it because it's like, oh, it's a netbook, it's cheap and weak. 
yeah. which is which is a shame. It's just not being positioned as a real competitor. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense because I don't I don't think like for a regular person, I don't think a Linux like an Ubuntu computer is a competitor. No. <laughs> but I, we're we're seeing a lot of people using Chromebooks. Chrome yeah. is just a it's just a browser with a keyboard. Yeah, basically. So um, as we move into this, <laughs> as we move into this uh, age where all of our uh, all of the software that we use is actually in the cloud or you know whatever, Linux will probably be making a resurgence. Well, I mean it already is because you know Android is using the Linux kernel. So yeah, but I have aside from a couple of hardcore geeks, I've never heard anybody say I'm switching to insert flavor of Linux here because of my Android device. I've never heard anybody say that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It uses the Linux, the Linux kernel, but it's not um, an OS that's very compatible with whatever distributions that you can install on the desktop. Mm. But one bright spot, uh, I think, would be Steam. Depending on how things pan out in the future, uh, Steam is on Ubuntu and on a couple of other versions of Linux. So yep. we could see some hardcore gamers who don't want a Windows box for whatever reason, um, you know, spending $200 for an OS for one. Um, people who don't want a Windows box might be able to get by with a, a really good Ubuntu machine yep. and, and playing Steam. Yep. Um, but again, then it comes down to graphics driver problems. Right. My favorite game ever, uh, Kerbal Space Program, is available in Linux. Um, ever? Yep, ever. More than Doom 2? I haven't played Doom 2. <laughs> See, you're not an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways, um, available in Linux. And actually, uh, well, it, with the new, they're working on a new version right now, but um, Linux has a 64 bit version where Windows doesn't. So that's nice. Interesting. So that would allow you to allocate a lot more RAM to the game. Yeah, so that's a huge problem because um, yeah, Kerbal Space Program is this really cool, like a space simulator ga game, which means that um, you have like these huge worlds that are loaded into memory, and so they have to do a lot of like kind of um, a lot of tricks uh, <laughs> to make sure they're not loading too much uh, like detail in this scene at the same time to get around this um, memory allocation limit. I think. Because the game engine used some total free memory that's available to the game itself is only like three gigabytes or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Well, if Kerbal Space Program does allow 64-bit uh, on Linux, I might have to play it. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have tried to play it in the past, and yeah, my machines just were not up to the challenge. Yeah. So yeah, that'll that'll be a lot of fun because yeah. I do love Doom too. But when I was playing Kerbal, I could see why so many people get into it. Yeah. Uh, so so I do have one last question before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Have you considered doing your uh, project Prometheus in, or not Pr Prometheus? Ah, uh, oh no, what's the name of that project where they're detonating nuclear bombs to send a ship interstellar? Oh, um, Orion. Orion, yeah. Project yeah, have you, have you considered doing your Project Orion with Kerbal Space Program? Actually, uh, <laughs> somebody made a mod that actually does that. <laughs> does it work? Yeah, it works. 
that is pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is uh, the end of this episode, the <laughs> second episode of Changing Platforms. Um, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about what we want from our computers. And this is going to be covering a, a number of things, uh, hardware and software, as well as ultimate goals. Uh, why are we seriously considering changing platforms and does it make sense? Um, because, you know, truth be told, I've been talking a lot about changing, but I'm still not completely sold on whether Linux would be the best option for me or Windows, or maybe I should just suck it up and stay with OS X. But yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about next week. And we hope that you join us. So Keita, where can people find you? I am at Keita at uh, app.net, on app.net. and at sleepy underscore keta on twitter and my blog is kkob.us all right and i am matigo on app.net for now as well as matt uh, and you can also find me at matigo.ca and thanks for listening thank you